everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason. And here we delve into those reasons. I'm super excited because this week we have my friend Zubi Muhammad on the podcast. I hope you have a long train ride or plane ride or some traffic holding you up in your car because this episode is long, but I thought we would start the new year off with a very long episode. Zuby and I met back in August when the Blair Witch Project was screened in Burkittsville. Zuby has a ton to say, and I know you'll love this deep dive into horror filmmaking that we go into. Zuby worked on the Blair Witch Project in 1999 as a documentarian, and currently he works on everything from episodic to features to documentaries and music videos. We talked about how seeing The Exorcist in a theater is so different because of the sound, and why he prefers the director's cut of Aliens, and how gender plays a big role in that movie. Just a reminder, if you want to get more involved with the show and join the community over on patreon click the link in the show notes and for only three dollars a month you'll get access to early episodes stickers a monthly newsletter and more hey zuby how are you i'm good i'm good yeah i'm, I'm really glad to to be on on your show and uh you know so let's do it yeah, awesome. I'm so happy you're here. We met in Burkittsville at a screening of the Blair Witch Project, which you worked on, and I'm excited to get into that later. But do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself first? Yeah, so I'm writer, director, and a producer, and been putting together projects ranging from scripted episodics to features, and of course, documentaries, music videos, that whole kind of deal was basically living in Florida for many years before moving here to Los Angeles. And for a little window of time, well, I wouldn't say little, I mean, it was like six years. I was also a photo journalist. I was a journalist, went around all of the U.S. and covered a lot of intense stories that dealt with, you know, from protests that had been tear gassed before and all this craziness, but then also sociopolitical stuff, lots of interviews, about technology, the economy. So, and this was during while I was also, you know, producing movies. It was an unexpected kind of path, simultaneous, like parallel path that I was doing for, I did it for about five to six years, something like that. But I think it was really good for me to go through that whole experience because uh, I think it really enhanced the fictional, the 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 scripted narratives that I want to want to keep doing. So, yeah. That's awesome. I when I was little, when I was younger, I wanted to be a photojournalist because I love taking pictures. So, but that never panned out. So that's really interesting. So, first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? You know, there's a lot of scary movies. There's a lot of uh, horror horror films, and they affect me in different ways. But the key word I would say is, of course, scary. What really kind of got to me and left this impression. Uh, and I have to say, for me, it's The Exorcist, you know. Now, you always have to take that in context because, you know, I was, you know, uh, a kid. I mean, and I saw it on video, you know, so, <laughs> um, but I, I I wasn't supposed to see it <laughs> as a kid, uh, but I finagled my way to be able to see it. And it was freaking scary for me. And And every now and then, I love kind of going back to it. It's like listening to you know, a song that you, you just love the hook and, 
You just like, I, just, I, I need another, I need another hit of that, you know? And that's what the greatest thing with, with you. It's like, sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm, I just feel like a, I want to listen to that song again. That, that, that portion of the song, you know, that little, mm-hmm. little hook. And, and, and it, it still gets me, but now of course, you know, it gets me in a different way because, you know, I, I'm a huge behind the scenes guy, meaning I love, how did they make that? You know, how was that constructed? So I, I know a lot of the tricks. And so now I kind of appreciate it for that uh, beauty of the way it com- the way it composed itself to make people scared, especially at that time. But also the aesthetics of that movie is like gorgeous, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so it just it's it, it pretty much I that's the first thing I always think of is is The Exorcist. But uh, but yeah, but then you know there's some other movies that have. That are they're, they're different. That's why I'm always like ah, but always Exorcist, American Werewolf in London, is another <laughs> one. And the main reason again, I saw that as a kid on videotape and stuff. <laughs> and the main thing I loved about that movie, it, which you know anybody who's seen it will probably guess what it is, but it's the it's the transformation scene where, you know the 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 character David he he starts to conf- you know transform. But what's, I think, beautiful, again, about that thing, number one, it was because it's all, it's not like, it's all brightly lit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you're going to see every little (laughs) panty of this guy changing. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to see, oh, shoot. Am I, I'm kind of, you know, this is one of those, I'm always like, spoil. you know, I know there's some people who, spoilers and stuff like that, but just for those people who haven't seen it the transformation uh, actually Allison you have you seen it mm-hmm. okay good good you know that transformation is awesome because you know he's expressing himself in a very real way like if you're gonna if you're gonna turn into some other thing and you're normally <laughs> a human it is not going to be comfortable yeah that's a good point anyway <laughs> But that portion of it is, as a kid, I was like, oh, my God, you know, it's like super, you know. But what is special beyond that is the context that the movie plays in, the genre context, because it's kind of funny. The movie is, they they crack jokes in the movie and the way they do it, even in the middle of horrible things happening. And it's, I think humor is a big part of some of the that visceral connection to the horror aspects you know that for for some movies you know i think some of the coolest horror films have some good comedy in it you know they yeah. make you laugh and laugh and then they go here's some real nasty shit you know what i mean <laughs> so. yeah we need we need that like relief at some point release so for sure. Yeah. Anyway, but I gave you two there, but, it, but yeah, but anyway, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> no, no, no. Were you, was it you that was telling me recently that seeing The Exorcist in theaters is so much different because of the sound? Or is that somebody else that was telling me that? I think it's somebody else, but that's somebody else is correct. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe that's why I didn't really jive with it because I watched it like on my TV during the pandemic. And I was like, this isn't scary. I don't know if I'm getting out of it, but maybe that's the problem. Well, you know, I, I actually spoke with somebody not too long ago about this, about that, about the notion of it not being really scary, right? Number one, you know, it was, I don't, I forget what year it was made, somewhere in the 70s. And, and it also has like this, its reputation precedes it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, 
the, the scariest theater. film. It's so and, like it can be overhyped. It's so. it, I I personally think at this point it's con- the concept of this that movie is is really overhyped in a, in a, in a sense, but. The thing is, is that that movie, I think, really works because of the context of time that it came yeah. in. Out of. A, a lot of times, this is the, these are the kinds of things that people have to think about when horror films, in my view, you know, you have to think about it when the context of when the movie comes out. Because sometimes yeah. the movies are reflecting kind of the visceral dis- the, the disruptions that's going on in the time that the that the society is going through. And, and you know, with The Exorcist at that time... Uh, and also what what other kinds of movies preceded that movie, you know? So what was the audience kind of programmed, emotionally programmed to accept or to to be scared by? And when The Exorcist came out, you know, there really wasn't something in that brutality kind of thing that would be out in the theaters. I mean, you know, quite frankly, I mean, there, there's just some like kind of like sort of grossy kind of things that at that time audience you know dealing it's like a, a little girl and all the things that you know people you know i what year was that 1974 i think it was when it came out or something but like people have never seen something like that and the movie plays on a lot of atmospherics in the earlier stages of the film so it's a slow creep so it doesn't do these like a ton of jump scares it has them but it's built on that sort of atmospherics kind of stuff. So in a way, a, an audience today might not really vibe as much and might need more kind of, you know, clear hits. And on top of that, some of the, you know, I guess for some people, you know, some of the effects, I don't know, the effects I think are pretty, still pretty good. But anyway, but there's some of that stuff that I think that comes at play when, you know, if somebody like yourself, you hadn't seen it and it's not of that time. And also, you know, what what is the I think one of the fear engines of it is there has to be enough kind of, I don't know, a little touch of believing in the sort of sort of spiritually kind of stuff, you know, associated mm-hmm. with but connected more, less with sort of mysticism and more with religiosity. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, you know, my my mom loved the extra, I mean, she's like a big horror fan, you know? But, you know, there's an element of sort of religiosity too, where it's like somebody who would watch something like that would be kind of like, and who was, you know, believing in the notion that oh yeah exorcisms are a real thing and you know i think you're kind of a little bit more willing internally to kind of believe in it you know what i mean yeah and create that sort of thing so i think those those are the the dynamics that can come at play and I, and and nowadays i don't know there's there's still people in the in the, in the world and the audiences that um are similar in the way that the society was back then but I think it's a little bit less, I don't know. There's gonna be like those kinds of atmospherics, the social as- atmospherics that fed into how people got scared back then, they're not the same as today, you know? Yeah. But I'm curious on you, why would you say, what do you suspect that it it didn't um, affect you in the way that historically people have hyped about? Uh, I mean, I think 
it looks very dated to me. And I think it's just because I've already seen movies like Scream and Saw that like those are a little bit more in your face. And this kind of wasn't. And I had seen a number of Possession movies already. So I think if I had seen The Exorcist when I was like seven, it would have been more effective. But what if what if you saw a movie like, you know, at, at your your stage in life right now, if you saw had seen that movie, but you had I know this is obviously an abstraction, but you'd had not seen any of those other movies, those other possession movies and stuff. And you didn't really have that sort of context, you know, mm-hmm. context. What do you think your response would have been then? Yeah, I think I would have found it more effective. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. What yeah. are you looking? Are you looking forward to the new Exorcist movie that's coming out? Are you going to go see it? I'm definitely going to see it just because, you know, Exorcist is, uh, you know, like I described, but, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not sure, you know, I'm excited, you know, that, oh my God, I think they might have actually, you know, you know, done something that's really going to be scary, but, but they've got, it's a tall order. I, I love the fact that they have Ellen bursting in you know i would like to think that the reason why she was like yeah i want to do it because she knows that it was such a it was such a moment in her career that she would say okay i i didn't want to be in any of these you know any other version except this one is actually you know really doing it you know so i i want to say that i'm hoping that that's a good sign you know but it's hard it's hard to know but I'm hopeful. Yeah, but I am going to see it. You know, I'm definitely going to see it. I'm going to see it in the theater and all that good stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So you mentioned that your mom is a horror fan before. Can you tell me how you first fell in love with the horror genre? I mean, it probably would have been through her because, you know, we had. So the thing is, you know, I, you know, Florida was the last place that the main last place that I, that I was living. And but I grew up in a number of different countries from England Nigeria, where my family's from, you know, where we're all from. And the, the, you know, I had a tiny little stint in, in Hong Kong as a, as a little, <laughs> little, little babe. But so we had all this like different kinds of movies, VHS movies. There's a big closet full of all these tapes. And so we watched a lot of different things. <laughs> we watched like this was even, even when I was living in Nigeria, we also watched a lot of Bollywood movies <laughs> as a kid. So I loved Bollywood movies, you know, the musicals, you know, you know, what was it like My Fair Lady, just like super random, lots of different things. But yeah, but like horror, horror films were definitely in there. And, and it was just, you know, it's, it's very kind of like, oh, popcorny, you know, it's just all, <laughs> and the whole thing was like, oh no, it's gotta, it's gotta really work, you know? So that's really kind of, I think, how it's how it started, you know, and and then from there, it was just like, like, I, and the thing too is like, I'd watch stuff like, I guess you could say, kind of higher brow kind of stuff, you know, like, you know, I guess you call it elevated horror, but also like movies that many people only only kind of like certain horror geeks are gonna know. There's this movie called, I think it's called Squirms, and. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know I don't know it but the the oh, name is just creeping me out. It, that's you see that it's 100%. Mm-hmm. Squirms. And 
And Squirms, now I haven't seen it in a while. I'm looking for it. I need to get a copy and, you know, go go watch it or download it somewhere. But but basically Squirms is this movie about this town that's like there was like a storm or something like that. And the power lines fell onto the ground on this muddy ground. And in the ground were worms and they got electrocuted. And basically the worms go crazy and they... <laughs> They just like attack. With it's not like they jump, but it's they get on you. It's just they become, and then they just dig into your. No thanks. Yeah, yeah. We see that. You know, that is that kind of movie. But, but exactly, and it's just like, oh, you know, Uh, that is another type of uh, horror. You know that that I that I that I loved as a kid, and there was this other movie, Jack Palance. And his he did this it's this movie called The Warning. And I also like kind of like sci-fi horror as well. And uh, he it's basically like an alien comes to Earth and it has like these little they're almost like ninja stars or whatever. And it like, but they're creatures and they can smack, you know, they're like little, yeah, like 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 a yeah, like a like a spinning thing, and it just attaches and then it sucks blood or whatever it is you know and and this alien is going around hunting people basically you know there was another one called i always forget the name but it's also got this transformation scene type thing probably influenced by american werewolf for london but this one was just more like another one it's more like an alien creature that inhabits the the a person this guy's back and it essentially births itself from the guy's back, you know. So that type of stuff. So there was that. There were those kind of movies as well on the shelf. So I got this crazy diet, media <laughs> diet of movies, you know. Yeah, yeah, and we had some uh, kung fu, of course, well, lots of kung fu movies, you know. Yeah, it's a cool mixture actually when I think about it. But anyway, but yeah, awesome. So I always ask everyone, why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? People who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre. You know, yeah, you know, I've had some conversations with people about that because I'm really fascinated by all the the psychology, you know, behind not just like why a movie's working, but also the audience that's into those movies, you know? And the bottom line is this that I I do think that this element of it could be a catharsis. It could be ways people can con- a, a, a set of circumstances that is uncertain in their lives or or what they've witnessed, and it kind of creates this type of creates a container of meaning for them, you know, and that they can kind of process these sets of events or these relational dynamics through horror. And, you know, it just evens them out. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's just kind of like, it's like these, it's a type of maybe psychological valve of sorts, you know? And then they can just be like, cool, cool. All right. You know, and it process (laughs) and they're off on their day. You know, I think it's, it's, it's some of that, you know, there's many, you know, that there are, you know, all these people who really dislike horror, you know, they're just, they're like, absolutely not. It's a very emotionally disruptive experience for them and they've had it one or twice and they're just like it's just not for me and sometimes those same people who and they would consider themselves normal in a sense that they would be like 
you are weird that you're going to want to watch this kind of stuff. Like, I think that you're a weirdo. Why would you want to, you know? And, and I do think that there's a percentage of people, you know, who, you know, are, are bonkers in some sort that are watching, you know, or watch, you know, but, but also, you know, there's, like you said, there's completely perfect, perfectly sane people. And I think, you know, there's more numbers than what people would expect that are just like, it's just another emotional charge that some people get from seeing these things. But I think a lot of the good horror films, there is some sort of context of meaning that people are, how people are processing the film and how it relates to them. And they watch and they're like, oh my God, that's crazy, you know, but it's also working in some other way in a positive thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what scares you today in horror movies and in real life? Okay. What scares me today? You know, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that over the years about horror films. And I, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of horror films that scare me in the, in the deeper visceral way that that it used to affect me, you know? And it's not like, you know, I'm like getting used to like whatever, um, you know, like some people are like, you know, they become what I forget the term. Desensitized. Desensitized. Yeah. It's not even that. It's just, it's just kind of to me. Um, I just, I'm like, I, I need my horror experience to be, um, to have a deeper sort of meaning and that it it slowly kind of takes its its tentacles and just slowly kind of holds me. And then, and I don't think that a lot of horror films today do that as well. I think that they can be really effective just delivering like a some you know jump scares <clears throat> and 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 good plotting, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I can watch a movie and go yeah, that's really good, you know? And even some of them, sort of these sort of A24-y kind of films, I think those are the ones that I tend to like a little bit, you know, I tend to like more actually because I do feel like they, they, they at least, they really attempt to create a dimensional way to tell a story from a character perspective and also sort of a meaning kind of a thing. But there is sometimes some people... I think there's a lot of people who probably are just like, okay, you know, this is some hoity-toity, you know, you know, oh, you're ending the movie in this weird kind of thing. And it just seems like for some, you know what I mean? And so, you know, so, so I think there's some of that feeling that goes in there, but I would rather kind of have something like that rather than, you know, this kill, this kill, this kill, you know, or, or whatever. I just love a movie that I can think about it in a deeper way because then I, I just get much more emotionally engaged and the more emotionally engaged. So anyway, so to answer your questions, to answer your question about that, you know, there really isn't anything of of late. I did see, you know, one movie I saw not too long ago was Talk To Me. Mm. You see, get to see Talk To Me? I did, yeah. So with Talk To Me, you know, I felt like it had some really strong moments of just kind of like, and, and I think it's the, that eyes stuff, you know, like that that sort of possessiony. Oh my god, I'm spoilery. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> that's okay. Sorry, like, I feel like 
I'm, I'm like, <laughs> attention and realize, no, there's other people going to be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I'll, I'll mention that there are spoilers. <laughs> oh my God. You, and you got to tell me, <laughs> I mean, are you okay with it? Like sometimes I'm going to do that. Cause I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh, good. you can say whatever. Okay. Good, 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 good. Sorry. Anyway, I just know that there's some people that go crazy about this whole spoiler situation. So anyway, so that, that to me, that movie showcases that they, they attempted some emotional depth to the character and some of the thematic things that the character ultimately was going through. And, you know, and I think then that really kind of sucked me in more. And so I could really kind of get into that more. So anyway, so that's the, what was your second question as well? What scares you in real life? Okay. In real life. I think what scares me in real life is, you know, it's when, how do you say this stuff here? You know, you're in a situation of, how do you, I'll give you the most simplest version of what scares me in real life. It's more system how we, uh, as a person, like you can be subject to a system that might be messed up, you know, meaning a sociological system, you know, it could be like all of a sudden, you know, you don't have any control. It's just larger systems that we are all subject to. And if that system, you know, has issues, you know, with, you know, with where you stand about certain things, you know, the forces of that system can suddenly get right on you, you know, or, or whatever, and it can create these ripple effects. And so to me, I think that's the most scary things, you know, they're much more like grounded, I guess you could say in the sense that, so for example, you know, if there's like, like me, okay, it's like you get, I get pulled over or something in a car, you know, it's these kinds of things that like, I know like, okay, there's a range of things that could obviously happen, but I'm going to, you know, be balanced about it and stuff like that because, you know, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you have to think about, okay, the track record of the, of the system and, and how you're going to engage with it. You know, those are the kinds of things that scare me because it's like, you know, that's it's like a big behemoth machine essentially whatever the that thing is so being subject in that way is scary because you know it's it's a big behemoth <laughs> you know yeah. so yeah well, what's your favorite subgenre in horror movies subgenre in and so describe what do you mean by the subgenre would you say slasher psychological paranormal Ah, psychological. Psychological. Yeah, psychological. Like, for example, slasher for me, you know, that's not something, it's not, not like a go-to thing, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like, if it's like, you know, if it's done where it's like, I feel like the atmospherics are there and whatever, whatever, I'm, I would be going there to watch this because of the atmospherics you know what i mean but i'm not going there because of the slasher dynamic you know what i'm saying it's not and like even let's say the the saw films you know are sort of sort of they're like slap basically kind of slasher body mutilation-y you know type of stuff i think they're referred to as like torture porn 
Yeah. Yeah. And so torture porn for me is not, it doesn't, it doesn't do it. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like, you know, again, it's like, you know, like when I saw the first Saw a movie, I understood why it was working. You know, I, I did get why it was working, you know, but yeah, but that, you know, yeah, it just, no, it just doesn't, but yeah, but I would definitely say psychological. Let me think here. What other versions? So you, what did you name? You named psychological, there's torture porn, slasher. What's another one? Would you say? Um, comedy, horror comedies. There's found footage. Found footage. Yeah, I like found footage, of course. <laughs> Definitely found footage. I don't, you know, horror comedies. No, I, I, I think they kind of frustrate me. They kind of frustrate me. That You know, that's why it's like the American Werewolf in London for me is a weird one. It's just like a weird one to me. That Like, the, 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 okay, what is the one with the Hemsworth one, the horror comedy one, Hemsworth? Something about a house. Oh, God, what was the title? Oh, my God. Oh, I forget. Anyway, but it was a horror comedy. Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Cabin. House, cabin, you know. <laughs> that one is, like, massively, you know, I think it is massively beloved, you know, beloved. And yeah. lots of people love that movie. I saw the movie in the theater. I thought it was good, you know, but it didn't scare me. It just, it just didn't scare me, and and it it was a little self kind of referential in a sense, you know, and and I'm just kind of like, and I feel that for me it just takes it away. It's like, no man, just let's do it, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, when I saw it in theaters, I was like, well, I know what's going on, so there's no like tension or anything anymore. And and that's the kind of thing, and I get it, you know, a lot of people are like, well, no, that's that's the cool thing. It's fun. And like, I actually feel like there's certain people who they they really want their horror might not really be as deep into that movie, but, or there's people who are, they're not, they don't like their horror so straight. And so when you do a Cabin in the Woods type comedy horror, it's a little bit like, okay, there's some distance by using the comedy to create a little bit of distance from, from any kind of that visceral stuff. And, and that's why to me, I totally, I totally understand that. And, and I think it's good. And I think, and, and that's the thing is I loved all these different subgenres that are available uh, for people because horror can do all the things like we mentioned very earlier on, on the show, which is the different emotional services that <laughs> uh, it, can, it can provide, you know? And if that's the way that some people prefer to take in and or to experience communally experience that uh, some level of type of horror, <clears throat> then I think that's great. Then then give it to them, you know, with some with some comedy and they can have a good time. And, you know, even plotting, you know, the concept of it was 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 neat, neato. And, and that's cool, you know, but but, you know, yeah, but I like it. I, I like it straight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> and it's like you know i like my, i like my coffee black uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, i don't drink coffee with my milk so anyway that's basically the deal what are the subgenres are that's a good question all the subgenres yeah there are a lot yeah yeah who are your favorite hard directors oh my goodness gracious oh my goodness oh my gosh i should have i mean i you know you know freaking would be one but you know what's weird is that he's not really he just happened to have made that movie. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's kind of like, 
Okay, I'll tell you, like James Wan, I think in the context of horror and who really works and who I've seen, you know, seen the movies, I think James Wan is great. Like he just really knows how to like hit him and hit him and yeah. and just he just really gets it. So I would say that he's one of one of my favorite horror directors. Who's some some others that I'm like really into, you know, Ridley Scott again with Alien. You know, I think he's good, but again, he's is he like a horror director? Ah, you know, he just did a really great job with it. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Let's see who's another person. Um, I mean, here's the thing: is like, uh, so Ari Aster, I think, does some really special stuff because he at least, you know, he really has. Like when I saw Midsummer, you know, it took me a long time to see Midsummer for a range of reasons. I just like. I got so many, I got so many movies and shows to to like catch up on, and and I'm doing my own projects, and and it's just so fine. And people every time I'd be, like, have you seen Midsummer? No, oh my god! And people are like, I'm like, dude, chill. Like, but anyway, I finally got to see it, and I really, really like the film. I like the film more than I thought I would. You know, once again, it's not a movie that was like I was scared or or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, of course, you know, it's it's just like, whoa, this is a trippy movie, but it has great atmospherics. Yeah. And I loved this thematic subtextual stuff with the, you know, with with the lead character, how what she was going through and what thematically what that kind of the subtext in her relationship with, you know, her dude. I loved that. And so, you know, that's where I just really appreciate appreciate that you know about what Ari Aster was doing so yes so him who else Carpenter you know you know with the thing you know it's <laughs> like I guess that sci-fi horror is another sub genre which yeah. I would say I definitely love that that genre I would say that for sure so I think Carpenter is obviously like you know I just it's just great with and with the music that's the other thing is he's so good with that music man it's just <laughs> Like, you know, and he makes the music. <laughs> He's also a composer. <laughs> yeah. Thing. But, but it's just, you know, he just got that rhythm. And and again, that tone, all that jazz, you know. Okay. So, yeah. So there's him. And I got to say, like, this is not really a horror director, but he does horror moments freaking good. And that's James Cameron, you know. <laughs> and, and I... I, I had to throw him in there because James Cameron, like he's overall, he's definitively one of my favorite directors, like just in general, like I just, I just love so much of what he does and how he does it. Like there are times I have like broken down. Well, I break down a lot of movies. Like I'll just, you know, I'm a hardcore kind of like movie geeky person I spent a whole day sitting there watching, re-watching a scene, a clip, an edit, and really breaking it down. And there are just these little subtle things that James Cameron does. When you really sit there and go edit by edit, moment by moment, and you're like, oh, and you start to understand what he's doing. He's really, really good. But one of my favorite movies that he's done is Aliens with an S. So that's his version of Alien, the, the number two. And I love both of them, one and two. Three, you know, which is Fincher, doesn't 
work in the way that one and two work. But of course, it's a billion stories about what had happened with Fincher in that movie and all that kind of stuff. So, but Fincher obviously is great, amazing director. I mean, another subject, you know, you know. But but Cameron basically, I'm just saying there was just the way he he drew out and creates atmosphere in that number two, in a in sort of a different way. What's so special about Alien One and versus Alien Two is Alien One is this pure horror film. It's a yeah. it's a haunted house and there's a creature in the house and that creature's come to get you and you're like constantly being you know and it's like a predator movie too you know it's like you're being prey and you gotta you know and it's eating everybody one by one let's call it you know <clears throat> and finally you know the unexpected character you know because at that time nobody knew who Sigourney Weaver was yeah. you know <laughs> and what's so dope is like I, this is why I'm saying the context matters of the time the movie comes out. Yeah. Because that's what works beautifully in that movie, in the horror. Because around the middle of that movie, what's his name? I forget the actor. His name was da- His character name was Dallas. So he is like basically like the lead leader and the, essentially the lead of that movie. And Ridley Scott's like, all right, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him around the middle of the movie, a little after the middle of the movie. And then the audience is like, wait, 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 hold on. What the heck? Because all the other people are not like, we're not like big famous. And slowly as those people are dying and it's, and and this includes like dudes, it starts becoming clear that no, now it's just Sigourney, you know, she's, and who knew who she was. And so it broke the rules of who could be dying who could be living you know what i mean that, that's normal and yeah. you're in space and nobody can hear you scream <laughs> all that kind of shit and and it's just like that's beautiful you know what i'm saying yeah. um so that was that context of that feeling of what made that horror versus james cameron he has that you know he enters the movie basically pretty slow paced and he slowly takes us into the bowels of that station and everything's nasty. The lights are dim. And then they have that mo- moment. So I'm doing so much spoiler stuff, man. <laughs> but whatever. Um, and then when they see that lady, right? And she's hanging and that happens. He's really set it up. But then I love action movies. Then he's just like, all right, bring out the guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Totally. Let's also not forget that Jonesy is in the movie, both movies, and survives. So, That's the right. cat. Also, the cat. Oh my God. She's like, oh, Jones, Jonesy. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, and then that movie. Okay. I will get into outright fights with people. Okay. Not really fights, but you know, <laughs> but I'm going to fight when people say, okay, which movie between Alien and Aliens is better? Now, that's all the concept of what is better is very subjective in movies and art and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Totally. But if we're going to gauge what better me better is based on what is the most sort of per dimensional human relationship stuff as it relates to themes and stuff like that, which of the two movies has that? Actually, I will ask you, which do you think of those two movies has that thing, that sort of dimensional relationshipy stuff, textual things, all the things that the, the kind of things that I think is really important in in a dimensional, elevated e kind of horror type type thing. 
I think you're probably aiming for number two because she's caring for the little girl. Totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, think about it. It's like not only is she caring about that whole thing, but thematically, she is someone who basically had lost everything because in the beginning of number two, she is found floating in space and time has basically gone by because all her original family, you know, they've all, because she, she got caught in a time loop or whatever the thing was. And anyway, so she gets earth and she's alone. She has no more family and all that kind of stuff. And in the director's cut, there is um, a, a moment where they describe that she actually had a daughter that she was going to be mm. coming back to. Uh, but she'd been stuck in space and she'd been dealing with that alien and alien one. And, you know, she just got caught up and she was really busy. And then, you know, and then now she comes back and she's in uh, alien two and her life is gone. Right. Yeah. And the, the notion that sh the little girl Newt is found on the, at the colony and she's lost her family. So now it's like, she gets essentially a chance to start to build a new family. It's almost like she gets a new daughter. And even by the end of the movie, sorry if spoilers, but at the end of the movie, when all stuff has gone to hell and Newt, I don't know how, do you, you remember the movie a little bit? A little bit. I've only seen it once. Okay. Anyway, and Newt is, you know, has basically, she's been kidnapped by the alien, right? And, and they were supposed to get the hell off that freaking planet because shit has gone haywire. And Newt is stuck in the bowels. Well, actually, when she's been kidnapped by the alien, Sigourney is with the guy, the soldier guy, who she's become close with. And the soldier guy's like, you know, Sigourney, your kid is gone. I'm sorry. And she tells the soldier guy, no, she's still alive. Now, there's zero reason for her to... to there's zero way for her to actually... I mean, how is she going to know? But she's just like, I know it. I can feel it. You know, it's this sort of like, you know, concept of, you know, maternal thing concept, you know, that, you know, it's a very sellable thing, you know, to, 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 to not saying it is for everybody. I'm just saying, you know, but the point is, is like, everybody's like, and the audience is just like, she knows it. She feels it. And, and you know, the, the whole movie has set up that once the aliens got you, you're done for. You know what I mean? So it's like, so if you're a rational thinker, you're going to be like, yeah, the soldier guy is kind of right because there's no reason for that. And lo and behold, she tells the robot who has the spaceship, he says, I need you to wait here. I'm going to go down into the bowels of this of this planet thing to go get the, the to go get this girl before the because the planet is about to blow up there's a whole ticking clock she goes down there lo and behold the girl is still alive but she's you know surrounded by thinking and she's able to do what she needs to do and pretty much by the end of the battle the little girl throughout the movie the little girl keeps calling Sigourney her character name is Ripley she only says Ripley whenever she needs her Ripley, Ripley this, Ripley that. By the end of the big, big, big battle, when, you know, Sigourney's yeah. all good, the little girl runs up to her and says, Mommy. She goes, Mommy. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, like, you know. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you're laughing because you're like, okay, that's a lot of cheddar. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't remember the movie super well, but I, I think I remember that that moment, but also hearing you 
like remembering that moment it's like why is she calling her mommy it's not her mommy that's right so i don't know <laughs> see but but you can see that's kind of what the emotional configuration that's what he was yeah. going because at the end essentially what that's suggesting is she is with the guy hicks you know that's the soldier's name mm -hmm. she's now she's got a dude she's got a kid and they're a try you know they're like a little family you yeah. know and and those are these inner kind of a thing but i love the fact you are so much like you're like that's not a mom like what, what do you what do you mean why are you calling her mommy i love i yeah. love the fact for you you were like what do you what do you mean you're like <laughs> like you were reading that the the actual relationship configuration the, the 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 surface level stuff that's like oh yeah it's just that you know but then mm -hmm. for me i'm reading like you know i'm like oh i'm verklempt yes that's your mom <laughs> you know what i mean verklempt, mm -hmm. you know i well i think maybe it's because maybe just as a woman i am frustrated that they had to give ripley like a traditional female role in the end so yeah, yeah like you couldn't just let her be a badass with a gun <laughs> yeah 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 you know that and that's a that's such a a wonderful point and and it's a thing whereby it's kind of like this whole thing where i uh I, I was just thinking about how much I saw a trailer um, about a week, two weeks ago. And I think it was called like birth or something. Anyway, it's coming out. It's some movie, I think of birth or whatever. And it's directed by a woman and I'm so excited. Okay. Like Barbie, I still need to see Barbie. I'm looking forward to seeing Barbie. Okay. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to seeing Barbie is because when I went to, I first saw Oppenheimer, you know, and I, when I went, when I was on my way to go see it, you know, I saw a bunch of people coming out of Barbie and, you know, both men and women coming out of Barbie, but they also were like dressed, you know, in the, you know, the, the whole thing, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm myself never, you know, I never had a Barbie, you know, as a <laughs> growing up, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I didn't, you know, like my, my sister and, you know. But, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't have anything, you know, as a, you know, as a kid, at least I don't, I don't remember like having <laughs> against Barbies or whatever. It was just like, whatever, you know, but I felt like when I saw all these people coming out and I saw all the, the enthusiasm and then of course the freaking box, cause I think it's made either almost or as about to make or has made a billion. Yeah. Dollars. It's already made a billion. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to take a quick break to thank this week's sponsor, Magic Mind. I'm always looking for energy alternatives to, to coffee, so that's why I'm stoked to be partnering with the company Magic Mind on this week's episode. Like I said, coffee has been known to increase anxiety, so when the folks at Magic Mind reached out and asked to partner with us, I said absolutely. I often have trouble focusing all day long in my energy dips after the initial caffeine spike in the morning, and Magic Mind is here to help with that. After taking Magic Mind daily for about two weeks, I noticed that my memory was better after, and I was able to better focus. And the week after, I went back to doing coffee in the morning, and it definitely makes you feel jittery, so I definitely prefer the feeling that Magic Mind gives you. 
I'm such a super fan of brands that incorporate medicinal herbs and mushrooms in their products and Magic Mind incorporates ingredients like ashwagandha, which reduces stress and anxiety, matcha, which is basically extended release caffeine, and cordyceps and lion's mane mushrooms. And don't worry, these aren't cordyceps like from Last of Us, but a powerful one nonetheless. It's an adaptogen that reduces inflammation, strengthens your immune system, and supports high energy levels and physical endurance. If you're ready to ditch that fourth cup of coffee and your afternoon crash, I totally recommend that you try this. You can get it at magicmind.com slash Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N. And with the code Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, 220, you can also get up to 56% off on your first subscription or 20% off your one-time purchase. That's Allison20, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, 20 for 56% off. They also have a 100% money-back guarantee, no questions asked, so there's really no risk to try it. So it's magicmind.com slash Allison with the code Allison20 for up to 56% off your subscription. Thank you so much to Magic Mind, and let me know if you try it and how much you love it. And there's a lot of people who are going to be like, well, it was the marketing and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, they made it and people were, and I'm like, okay, I'm totally, totally willing to give people the thoughts or whatever that I'll, I'll give it to you. It was like, yeah, there's a lot of marketing and that means, but I, but the, the reality is it's also a cultural phenomenon and Barbie really means a lot to so many people i mean and obviously a lot of women and the fact is is that i think someone like you know the director greta gerwig i think she definitely i think is conscious of you know the dynamics that women go through and i think really tries to express that point of view because i mean the hard reality is by the numbers director wise you know, there are many more men who are directing than women. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure that there's some people who are going to want to argue that point, but that, well, you know, things are getting better and all, and it's true, they are. But historically speaking, the inertia, the reality is that, no, nah, man, I mean, <laughs> you know, the, it's the it's all been dudes, you know what yeah. I mean? And it's, it's all been the point of view of dudes. And and even when they direct, you know, a story that's really, you know, the story about this woman who's going through whatever, you know, if you know, this dude is doing it and it can do and he can do it well. You know, there's some dudes who can they can do it well. But I just think that there is just nothing. I think that women just it's going to be it's so important that women be directing more. You know, of course, we've got a lot of women who are producing and stuff, screenwriting. And you know, obviously that's amazing, fantastic, and has been going on and been building. But definitively, there's nothing like, I think, you know, having a woman really with a voice, you know, just really going out there and, yeah. and, and telling from perspective. So I think about Barbie that I, I really believe, and I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I really believe what it is too is like, there's almost like this other conversation being had with women through, you know, the director, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like certain things I think that the, you know, that they're vibing together with, you know what I'm saying? And the women yeah. kind of, you know, cause I think there was an article that said that there were some breakups. Some women were like, you know, I'm going to break up with my dude. 
You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I didn't see that, but that's that's funny and also a little crazy. Well, um, well <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't just. It was just the notion that depending on how the dude was responding about a variety. Oh, of okay, that makes sense. Yeah, no, you know, if- it, it spoke to kind of his worldview, a, a, a dimension of his worldview that I think that when now. I do think it's like, you know, hey, hey, girl, why don't you all have a conversation first? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, hopefully that's kind of how it goes. But the point is just really it's about worldviews and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Having someone like her lead that, because I would I would go as far as saying if this movie was going to be made, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. I think that it would have been much people have been in the companies, the the people who finance all these things would have been much more willing and, and be fine with like, yeah, you know, some dude, you know, some, you know, 60 year old dude. Yeah. Let him direct it. Or like this new hot, yeah. you know, 20, 30 year old uh, director or whatever, you know, you, he could do a really good job and they could have done a good job. So that's not that, but it, to me, it's just that voice, you know? So going back to what you said about aliens you know i think your perspective right there was right on point it's like you're like well okay do we have to default to the mothery kind of stuff because would you had done which would, would it be that she would have run up and says hey daddy you know if it was yeah. a dude you know what i mean and i wonder if it would have been different had aliens been directed by a woman and that's the other point yeah that's the that I was thinking about when you said that is that yeah what would it have been like if aliens had been directed by another woman what would she had what would she have done you know yeah but this is and this is why to me all these dimensional things about meaning when it comes to horror I think matters you know because it's about it's another it's a reflection of the society it's a reflection of the society at the time those things come out the movies come out and all that kind of stuff you know it's it all comes into play you know yeah yeah so on that on that same note you were you were involved in the making of 1999's iconic movie the blair rich project and you said it was more than the nuts and bolts of making an iconic film but it was more of a historical snapshot in time and you were there and you captured it. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that was like? Yeah, you know, I mean, so as you stated, the Blair Witch Project came out in the summer of 1999. It played at Sundance that winter, you know, in January, in the beginning of the year of 1999. It played at Sundance, was bought at Sundance, and and then it had a platform release I can't remember the the dates of when it had the started the platform release. I want to say it was, yeah, it was July, I guess, July 16th is when the kind of platform. And then finally it just went wide, you know, because there was a hunger for the film. I'm not sure the details of, you know, whether already it was pre-planned to have a platform, to have a wide release, but I don't believe it was going to be that wide because it went, it went fully wide. Yeah. And it became a phenomenon, you know, a straight up phenomenon. So the movie, you know, was shot in 1997 and then a huge chunk of editing and all that was like 1998. So this is the sort of time frame of 
the, the, the churnings of this movie, you know what I mean? Now, when I was, so I documented the making of the film. And when the guys had said, hey, we have this idea. So the guys who make the film at the time, you know, they called the Haxon Five because it was like three producers and two directors. And they were like, yeah, we want to make this film. We have this concept. And I remember speaking with one of the directors, Dan Myrick, and I and he explained to me how they were going to make the movie. And I was like, dude. So crazy how you're going to, you're going to just have a, you know, it's just the techniques of how they, they're planning on doing it. And I just thought it was super fascinating, but also because I knew them personally from the other projects that they had done. We were all like this click in Orlando, this sort of filmmaking community in Orlando, Florida. So we knew, you know, we all knew each other and stuff and hung, hung out and all that kind of, kind of stuff. They were sort of, I, they were almost, almost like this you know, elder film brothers, <laughs> filmmaking brothers in a sense. And I, you know, kind of looked up to him and, you know, and the reality was I told him, I said, dude, I would love to do a making of sort of, cause I was really into the movie Hearts of Darkness, which is the making of uh, Francis Ford Coppola's um, Apocalypse Now. And it kind of follows Francis Ford Coppola as a person trying to deal with this weird, crazy movie he's making. So that's what my inspiration, I was just like, I want to make a documentary because this seems weird. And it's funny that because they're such jokey guys, they're so, you know, and the notion of them wanting to make this kind of weird, creepy horror film, I was just kind of, I was almost like amused by it too. Like, oh my God. And that was the whole thing. During that time, for larger context, meaning beyond just the making of the, the beyond the nuts and bolts of the movie, of making that movie, that era, you reality TV was starting to jump off on on MTV. Yeah. So it's called the it was called the MTV Real World or yeah. something. You know, mm-hmm. that was well, that was starting to pop off. So the notion of reality TV in and of itself, you're following people and the characters are fighting and all that. That was starting to seep into the culture. Yeah. On top of that, the internet, 1995, is when I think like regular internet slow band you know yeah uh, that's when i got the internet that's when i got aol the aol mm-hmm. that started so and then napster hit where it was audio oh, yeah. files i think it was 1997 or something anyway all this to basically say is there's this weird window of time of technology oh and then the editing systems became a more online non-linear edit computer-based editing systems so there was all this atmospherics of things that people, things were changing atmospherically with technology and where people were culturally. So that is also what I wanted to capture, like to more today to integrate into the behind the scenes stuff that I was filming. Because a lot of the behind the scenes stuff I was filming was more character based, me a character and also nuts and bolts, which is seeing how these guys were making their having the 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 actors go out into the woods and essentially are filming themselves yeah and director <laughs> two directors are like watching from binoculars in the woods in you know attire in like you know fatigues you know what i mean yeah. military <laughs> fatigues and stuff and giving the the and not really directing them face to face but like remotely directing them with little notes 
that they would leave in the little baskets and stuff and the actors would stumble upon them and, you know, and then get a little directing note. So the techniques were all, you know, really different. It's almost like they were playing jazz. I, I, I kind of akin it to like playing jazz that directors are playing. So it's like the actors do some things, but they do their own thing. The directors then look at the footage that the actors had been doing out there in those woods. And they're like, well, that was unexpected. Let me play off with that and then give them a note. But there's a, a there's a larger context playbook that the actors are still, they know the general arc, but they are definitely doing some level of, a lot of level of improvisation within a context of, you know, plotting of what where they're supposed to go and what they're supposed to do. So all of that, obviously, to me, was great and interesting um, because of the way. And a lot of people don't know how that movie was made, that that's how it came about. It's not like the directors were, and that they don't know that the actors were literally out there, um, I want to say for eight days straight yep. in those woods, you know, just there. Being so, given less and less food every day. Given less and less food. I mean, it was a truly visceral experience, I think, for those yeah. actors. And, and that really contributed to the raw yeah. kind of feelings that they had, which then affected their performance with each other, coupled with the directing notes that they would be getting that would, because the one actor might have a, a, a note, I mean, one actor would have a note that the other actor would not know what, yeah. what, the, what they were being given and stuff. So it was such a unique way to direct the movie. And it, it was really fascinating. So anyway, so I, I was, when I would be, talking with the guys i'd ask them i'd sit them down and say so how are things going it's almost like a video diary in a way too regarding them and say how do you guys feeling about the edit and there was one time when they were editing dan one of the directors he was like man you know we got to chill out because sometimes we're thinking okay this movie is going to really going to do some stuff but we got to be real we got to be real with ourselves here we've got a bunch of high eight video that we shot this on and high video, the quality is not film, you know, and, you know, we're thinking about, we would love to have, basically he was like, I got to hype myself down because sometimes I think this is great stuff, but then sometimes I'm like, I got to be real with myself. It's like, I'm a, I'm a quote unquote, like nobody filmmaker, you know what I mean? And I loved kind of capturing those moments of true, like authentic self-doubt. It isn't one of yeah. these like humble things so um, humility no they were, those guys were because literally their their lights were about to be cut off in their in their mm -hmm. house you know like it was like it was like yeah. like you know so but they also had this dream you know of like the idea like something might actually happen i don't know you know and it was so cool to it was it was really quite surreal because there was a time i was in the car we were going from one location to another. I was in the back seat. Dan was in the front driving. And he was telling me, he was saying like, he was really thinking through like, oh man, I really, I hope something can happen with this thing. And there's so many filmmakers who submit themselves into these from film festivals where they put them and, you know, and they think something's going to happen, but it doesn't, you know, happen. And, you know, and I'm just one of them too. You know, and I remember thinking in my head when I was sitting there, I didn't actually say it out loud, but I remember it crystal clear. And I remember thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's going to actually work out for you, you know, 
I legit, it's not like, I don't know why I thought that, you know, but I did. I just thought, oh, maybe this one, but I actually think when I really think about it now, the reason why I thought that is just because I was just as dream filmmaker-y kind of person as, you know, I was just a Kool-Aid drinker. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) (laughs) you, you had nothing to lose. So why not just aim for the stars? Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, and then, you know, but then when it happened, it then it becomes really trippy to see people, you know, they were like on the whole Time magazine and entertainment. Yeah. And also because it took me a while for me to kind of go, I guess people really are liking this movie. Like, I guess it's even when it was like, I guess it's making money, you know, but then (laughs) that, okay, they were able to like move into a house, you know, from what the house they were renting and they they did get finally a new car. So I guess I was like, something's happening, you know? <laughs> I'm like such, I, I'm like always just such a, I have this dream part of myself too, but also the super like trying to be grounded about what's actually truly real yeah, and what's really happening. So it took, it took me a while to really kind of grasp that. And I was like, okay. And then it felt good because it was like, okay, so all these articles that I've read in like filmmaker magazines about, you know, the notions of like, really great things happen well you know quote unquote like dreams coming true kind of a thing i was like okay i guess that really does happen you know what i mean (laughs) um that whole kind of a thing so so it was cool to to see it because i've been i'd read about it i'd there were legends about it because i've always been really into the history of cinema and all that kind of and i love like the making of these figures in history you know and seeing and I always want to know, no, 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 no. What was the real story of how this really <laughs> actually happened? You know what I mean? Because yeah. always like the fluff that they kind of design. Oh, it'll, yeah, I always, I pretty much always thought this was going to happen. You know, like, <laughs> no, I want to know when were they really crying in the corner and yeah. shivering, <laughs> you know, and, and like, oh, no, they actually had a great, you know, grand uncle who had actually the connection to this. You know what I mean? And that that's really how it went down. So I'm just like, and that's probably why too, when I had my journalism career, you know, I'm like really into like, no, what's the real deal? What's really happening here? You know? Yeah. So yeah, so that was great. But yeah, but the historical context is really an important thing because when the internet, when that film came out, the internet was was new and there were even moments that when IMDB happened, one of the actors of Blair Witch Project, you know, the, a lot of the act, in fact, all the actors, uh, the three actors, you know, were were essentially told, "Hey, look, a lo- there's a number of people who might think this is this movie is real. We don't mind them thinking that it's real." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, since like you know, we're gonna go and promote this movie, why don't you actors kind of dip out of sight a little bit? You know, just kind of keep yeah. quiet, so 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 people can can argue. Yeah. <laughs> know what I mean and now you know I'm sure for the actors you know that's a mixed bag you know to to experience something like that and so because of that circumstance you know one of the actors was like you know what well at least you know there's this new thing called IMDB I'm just gonna go there you know load up my IMDB or I'm gonna check IMDB whatever and then to see like you know someone I, I and 
what I would say is probably marketing related. Yeah. Listed, you know, in, you know, one of the actors is deceased on IMDb. And all I know is if it was me, I would be freaking furious. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what the hell, you know? But in the grand, so it's like, but but there's like yeah. no decorum at that time about how you're going to use platforms, how you're going to relate to people on the internet, how what what's really true, what's real. And there's some folks, you know, that I've talked to about that era when the film came out, this notion of quote unquote, like fake news, that type of thing. It's like, oh, it's real. It's not real. Well, I saw it on the internet. And you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like this, it, nobody really knew how to engage with what certain things mean on the internet at that time yeah and the film gets released and it's this freaking global phenomenon and so that's the kind of things that you know that making of you know really is is all about exploring as well as nuts and bolts of the, of the film you know because it it it's a, again it's the whole context thing it's like what we talked about earlier the whole thing you were saying about like, eh, you know, exorcist. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are probably some people today who would see Blair Witch and be like, it's not that scary. So, totally. Yeah. Totally. Because <laughs> you know, at that time there wasn't anything. Yeah. Like it. A sound footagey kind of a vibe. Mm -hmm. That was not a language really. Yeah. Um, as it is today. And like what you just said about exorcism, when you were like, eh, well, now you've already got a nice sort of diet of exorcism procession movies. Yeah. They're kind of, they're staple. You know what I mean? So you yeah. went in with a groundwork of the language yeah. and then, you know, but, but you're going into the sort of beginner, the, 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 the instigator of the language, yeah. <laughs> but you're, but with the language that it already set up, you know what I mean? And yeah, that's totally hard. And that's the same thing with Blair Witch. I think there are people who watch it. And and again, its reputation precedes it. And it's like, oh, when I saw that, it was so scary. And, and people are going to watch it today and be like, and? People who watch it today also don't have the benefit of maybe of questioning whether or not it was real. Right. Going into it. So because I know I questioned that before I saw it in theaters in 1999. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. So previously in our conversation today, you had said you wish there were more women making horror that reflected the themes that women identify with. And so there's Heather in the Blair Witch Project, who was the director. And you had mentioned that she had gotten a lot of backlash and you don't think it would have been that way if she were a man, which I totally agree with. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, once again, this is about historical context, you know. I think the kinds of conversations that people are having about, you know, different, you know, segments of our society, you know, you know, from racial, you know, segments, and then, of course, the subjects of gender, you know, I believe that now we're having a much more dimensional conversation as a society, at least in America, and now I think a little bit more in Western Europe. And maybe even Eastern Europe, you know, and then, of course, further out in the world, it's moving, you know, to the African countries, too. And I think it's really good. You know, there are people who 
probably feel like everything was basically okay, <laughs> you know, prior <laughs> to these convers- yeah. conversations. I, those, uh, those would probably be men who thought that things were basically okay. Of course, exactly, exactly. But <laughs> don't get it twisted. I I do think there's a there there are a number of women as well. Who, um, oh yeah. I, I think I wouldn't get it twisted. I, I think that there are a number of women and they, they, there are different reasons why they, you know, have those positions, you know, but, but I do think that it's important. Uh, I mean, look, societies as a whole, we all evolve in a lot of different ways. And, and for sure, this, you know, us, us evolving into this you know, sort of gender conversation as it relates to this stuff here, I think it's really, really important that we can think about it in a, in a deeper way. And even those people who are kind of like, nah, I think everything was basically okay, you know, can think about their positions as to why they feel like, oh, everything was okay, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you have to really take that into account. So now to say about Heather is that during the time that in those late 90s time, I think that at that time, many people thought, oh, yeah, the gender, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do think that people probably were feeling like, yeah, man, pretty much things are good. You know, we're done. Yeah, I think, so. <laughs> I think people felt that enough people felt that, you know, of course, that there were segments of people who are very progressive and trying to say, no, dude, we've got all these, you know, things that ain't cool, you know? Yeah. But I would say, you know, probably in the general public, people felt like, no, we're good. Look, look, we got this, you know, four women CEOs over here. We look, look, see, we're 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 pretty good. So when Heather, you know, Heather in the movie plays the director of this documentary that she's making about, you know, uh, a legendary or an infamous witch of that haunts you know, the Blair Woods. And so she's got two guys, you know, one is her um, DP camera operator. And then the other is her sound mixer guy. And she goes on this journey into the woods to, uh, well, first into the town of Burkittsville, and then finally into the woods, documenting the whole thing. And as a character, being a director, she's like, got a vision and she's very forthright and she's not like apologizing about like how she's coming across. She's just like, <laughs> she just, she's just out there doing her thing and focused, yeah. you know? And now for me, you know, I always thought it was, it was cool. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like weirdly because it wasn't so, because it wasn't, it's not something I, often saw on screen i think that made it kind of like it was just like oh this is cool which actually i think makes it sad right <laughs> because <laughs> do you see what i'm saying yeah so you know and so she just went over there she's just doing her thing man and all the way through and 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 when the guys are giving it to her she's like giving it back to her her yeah. own crew and and she can drink with them and stuff but she's not I don't really think she's being played as like, you know, one of the guys. That's the other thing about it. There's a 
there's a thing, this is just me, my perception of blah, 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 which could be totally off. But I think that there's sort of this characterization thing that, you know, either storytellers try to, when they present certain, you know, women characters in these dynamics, I think they, there's a one of the guys kind of a thing. Oh, she's cool. She's like one of the guys. Oh, she's, she's the cool like, girl. The cool girl. You know, there's yeah. this kind of thing. I don't really perceive that that's how she was portrayed in the, in the yeah, film. Yeah, I think she just had, she just wanted, she was a director and wanted to get her stuff. So, yeah, you know, she's just doing her thing. So, all this to basically say in the movie, as things get heated, conflicts happen, they go head to head with her crew, and they're trying, and then there's a kind of a struggle for like, how should they do this? Should they go this way, that way? And she's like, no, let's go this way. I know what we're doing. And then, of course, there's this, she starts to have her own questions about like, maybe I'm, am I doing the right way, blah, blah, blah. And so I, what it looks like is there is a, in the culture at the time, there was a reaction to her that I think the audience, certain members of the audience in, in the culture kind of had a bad taste in their mouth because they felt like, God, this girl is just like, and she's just kind of rude. And she's just kind of like, you know, the old verbiage where they'll say like, you know, oh, she's bitchy and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I always think, I'm like, if it was a dude that yeah. was the director, they'd be like, oh, he's taking charge. He's, 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 look, he's, mm -hmm. he's got a vision. And if people would just pay attention, you know, the, you know, that whole kind yeah. of a thing, you know, and oh, whatever. And I think that the feelings that some people who had these negative reactions or a little sense of a little bit of distaste about Heather, they would probably feel different if instead it was a dude who had these same attitudes. Because I think culturally, you know, as a society, it's a natural default for yep. the society to feel that those are, you know, the characteristics that should be express via male and a woman having those sort of characteristics again not in this whole one of the guysy kind of a thing or like oh she's trying to be a dude or something you know i think that kind of was disruptive and and it just made few people kind of some people you know have these feelings so she ended up i think really kind of getting a hard time with how people felt about her and I think that was a lot of it was part of the context of the time, you know? Yeah. But what I find interesting is people can talk about that time and go, yeah, no, but I, I mean, people of that time would be like, no, but we're, everything's cool. And if the movie instead was happening in like 1950 something, people would be like, oh God, you know, that time. But I'm like that time in 1990s or whatever, to a degree would have felt like way more culturally modern, you know? And yeah. I'm like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Not that it wasn't like the 1940s or something in, in those dynamics and, and whatnot, but yes. So I think she sadly, in my view, got negative sort of a type of blowback, you know? Yeah. And I, and also because as a character, her name is, you know, was her real name. You know what I mean? Like she used that same real name. Well, the it was a, agreed upon that. Oh, you know what? You actors, we're gonna just can we just name your characters with your real names, just so that everybody stays in the same vibe and whatever, whatever. And the actors, 
it was it was like an afterthought, you know, that that was how they were going to do it. But nobody realized that there's a little bit of a I think what the negative that comes out of that. okay, you've made the movie Blair Witch Project. It becomes this whole thing. You know, your name is, you know, you know, Mike. And you're going to go into audition for another thing. And some people might be like, and you're an actor. I mean, the reason why you're not acting yourself in Blair Witch Project, your character profile, you, you've been, you know, you have a backstory, all this kind of stuff. It just so happens that the way the film is shot, it feels so real. And also the way the actors are acting is yeah. like real. Yeah. You know, that to me is a real testament to their freaking performance, you know? Yeah, they're all incredible. Yeah. Yes, because it's a new kind of textural way to make a movie. And the fact that it's just, so all of a sudden, they go into the standard system of movie making as actors to go talk to casting people. And there are some casting people who will be like, oh yeah, you did amazing. And then there's some casting people who are like, well... Was he just acting himself? Was she just being herself? Can mm. she act, you know? Yeah. Because you're, it's like, well, but they were just, and it's just all this kind of movie magic trickery that I think actually spills over into the standard system mechanisms yeah. of movie making that they're, they're only used to a certain thing. It's like, you come in, you, you act like this character, and then I see whether I believe you. You know, yeah. Blair, was never, Blair was just said, no, these are all the people you can look them up, blah, blah, blah. Huh. You know? Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like there's a similar, it wasn't on a scale anywhere near what Blair Witch was, but have you seen the, ta- the taking of Deborah Logan? No, that's, I know of it, but I'm yeah. looking. I was on a podcast last weekend talking about it and they were talking about how annoying the main girl was who was directing the movie. And I'm like, do you think you would have thought she was as annoying if she was a man because this is like in Blair Witch so wow that's just so and what she was acting so so what was the answer when you asked Uh, they I think they were like oh yeah well maybe maybe not maybe yeah that's a good point yeah you know I don't know I think that there's a lot of collective the collective subconscious in the society that we've all been conditioned for through time through various uh, media products, you know, different movies, songs, pictures, comic books, you know, TV, you know, it already has this sort of culture information about how we as a society should relate to one another has a long inertia that has been happening before the time. And we're more likely to default to that subconscious programming you know to yeah. it, it, it's you know it's just a natural thing and and that's what i think we have to look out for because we, you know we as a society could be so much more and you know women can be so much more and it's like i always think about this is a little off topic but still on the same <laughs> topic but i always think a lot about like world war ii not always i'm just <laughs> I, I i've been on this kind of kick of like certain history things and you know i kind of go on these rabbit holes um there's a new rabbit hole that i wanted to i'm really looking forward to go into and that is women during world war ii and this is in america when you know this the the country had to mobilize 
And I think a lot about how like, you know, you know, all these women, because so many of the men were out there, you know, on in the field, in the theater. And there were women who were building all kinds of machinery, you know, airplane parts and all these different things in the factories and and whatnot, you know, I mean, not all women were doing that, but there's a, you know, they had to mobilize and make, make, create this massive war machine, you know, (laughs) and, and I, and I go in my head, I'm kind of like imagining after the war, you know, the war ends in 1945 and, you know, there was all these, you know, veterans programs and people kind of buying houses, whatever, and coming back and the economy starts coming back to steam, uh, going back up to steam. And, you know, things are coming. Things are starting to look rosy after this awful war thing. And I'm wondering about, you know, that woman who was like in the factory building like airplane parts and stuff like that. And now they're like, OK, 50s housewife time. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you know, yes, the, the dude was out there in the war, you know, and doing uh, what he had to do and stuff. And then now, you know, this lady is about to fix the toaster or whatever. And the husband is like, what are you doing? You know? And, <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. That's that's for you, honey. I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I'd love for somebody to make a movie about that. That'd be that'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Because imagine this like that time, you know. So yeah, so I've been I've been exploring sort of some of those those spaces, but, but because they're more relational dynamics, because all of a sudden all these, you know, things that maybe people didn't think women could be doing those things now. Yeah were basically forced to get into mm-hmm. it and, and to do it because yeah. of necessity. And now you're seeing uh, at that time, you're seeing, you know, the women doing these things that the society would normally have not thought they would do or could do, you know, maybe, yeah. I don't know. So it's, you know, and then the inertia changes, you know, and then all of a sudden, yeah, but anyway, whatever, I'm going off a tangent, but you know what I mean? That's, those are the, I'm just basically talking about cultural inertia, you know, uh, of the way that oftentimes happens prior and it's hard for people to kind of see things differently, you know, to change things. But but then, you know, do things do change, you know, and they yeah. evolve. And thankfully they do, you know. Well, switching gears a little bit, an article came out in 2020 that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case? Wow, that's I would love to read that article. So horror movie fans we're doing we're handling lockdown better yeah huh i mean you know the thing with the lockdown stuff is that it's a situation that forced people to be situated one area just stay put and you really don't have a way to stretch to do much more other than deal with what you have to deal with and sometimes that's like dealing with your own thoughts right there are no distractions of going out to work and oh and i'm gonna talk with some folks at the water cooler and like you know what i mean there's just like you know you're just stuck and for some people i think maybe when they were locked down they just kind of felt like i'm stuck and festering you know what i mean and just like and festering in their own self yeah <laughs> and that and and they didn't have like sort of maybe mechanisms that help them diffuse you know or dis- distract themselves yeah. 
And, you know, and that was just like, they couldn't, they couldn't deal, you know, I know that for sure, there were some people who were just so they they did poorly during lockdowns, because they just needed to be out and about they needed to be engaging with other things outside of themselves, you know, yeah. Um, and that they were deprived for them, they were deprived of that. Because that's how they process, that's how their system circulates through their their being is by it comes in and comes out and and whatever. And it you know, it's like it's a little bit of that extrovert versus introverty kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, introverts build energy by being when they're, you know, at home kind of a thing in, indoors, they need to go indoors rebuild the energy and then they can go out and then go off and do their thing extroverts if they're indoors they need to go out to get energy you know from from it could be others it could be situations and so if you are and this actually i don't even i think that there were introverts like you just described about that article who probably did poorly there too you know in, in in lockdown because they still could go to maybe a job or go to some thing and still be introverty out there, but at least they're finding a way to process whatever those things they need to process internally versus like being indoors. It's like, Oh my God, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm just ruminating, ruminating, you know, cause there's other ways, especially if they lived alone. I think there's some people who live alone who there is no one in there. They don't even have a, they don't have a dog, they don't have a cat or anything. And it's just, they just go out to work and they do whatever they do. And then they come home and then they, they keep themselves busy in many of these different things that are outside. But horror folks, I think, you know, it could be that because the way that a, a person processes horror, you know, starts to kick into gear when they're like on lockdown, you know what I mean? Like, like, I think it's interesting you say this. I got to read that article because lockdown, I was kind of like, all right. You know, I was, you know what I mean? I was, I was like, eh, all right, cool. And and I'm, I like being out and engaging with people. And so it's, you know, I mean, I would consider myself an introvert, but I love going out, hanging out with people <laughs> and, you know, uh, having a good time. But lockdown for me was just like totally cool and watch some horror clips, you know, yeah. some, or I don't know, some musical. I'm not, I, I want to make sure to be clear. I'm not uh, crazed uh, like a musical fan per se, <laughs> like, but there are some that, you know, I probably feel nostalgic. There is some musical one day I want to make though. I have some, there's definitely some musical. I love dance movies. Mm. Love <laughs> well i'm a huge fan of musicals so no judgment (laughs) okay well like like one of the ones that i watched a million times as a kid and my dad my dad apparently like liked as a it was the sound of music (laughs) (laughs) i don't know the sound of music um you know what i mean that's adorable huh that's adorable (laughs) oh But I haven't seen that in freaking forever. I'm going to rewatch it again and stuff like that. But because there's sometimes I watch stuff and I, 
I kind of then I see it in, you know, through the lens of 2023. And then I'm like, ah, I don't think that works too well. You know what I mean? But but at the same time, but I never I'm never one who's like, you know, dissing it or anything. I just think that's why I think about it in the context of when the movies come out. I think that's like super, super, super important. And it also it tells you something about that society at that time when the movie comes out. You know, I think context is really freaking important. So on that note, are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again, despite the context of when it came out? Any horror movies that I won't. I mean, it's almost like in a way you're almost I could almost think like, okay, maybe it's a movie that I didn't really like for one kind of ish. You know, I mean, there's definitely a number of movies that. I'll watch once and I'll just be like, I don't need to see that again, but never because it's like, oh, I freaking hated it, you know, and anything like without super strong feelings. It's more kind of like, yeah, okay, I saw that, that's cool, you know, but I'm trying to recall if there's some movie that that I've seen where I'm like, oh, hell no, man, I'm definitely not going to say I'm trying to think. Has there been a movie? There are movies where it's like I'll watch and I'll be like, it's just not a good movie. I'm not, I don't need to see it again. You know, there's a lot of those movies <laughs> I'll say out there um, that I, I could go on a list, but 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 there, there's not one specifically that I can actually name that I would say, oh, you know, for no. But but it's more for me, most of most of it has to do with like if I feel like, you know, it was neither here nor there, you know. Those to me are kind of like the worst kind of experiences in a way. It, it, it well, especially if I went to the theater to go see them. Yeah. Because you no, know, it's a process, man. <laughs> it's like you know, I can't take my dog. I can't, you know. It's like okay, I got to organize. Make sure he's good, whatever. And then you know, driving and in in LA, there's a whole parking oh, process. Yeah. You know, so if I go, I really want it to be effective but i you know so there's a there's a list of movies that i that i would be that would just fit in that in that realm but yeah but i can't call out one particular movie just because like well there's that one too and then there's that one too so there's a lot and it's just because i'm like come on man give it to me give me something you know yeah are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like wow great question oh my god a horror film that I love that people generally don't like. Oh God, probably. I, I mean, the short answer is probably, but I can't think of them right now. I probably afterward, I'm going to think about it in the afternoon when I'm taking a bite out of some sandwich. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, oh, that one, that one, that one. No worries. I can't. Oh my God. Right now, I don't think so. But I mean, I'll watch, you know, there's a lot of movies that I'll watch that, you know, like super disturbing for many people. And, and I'd be like, you know, it's disturbing or whatever, but I'm, and I, or even I find it disturbing I'm trying to think of some, some stuff, man. But, but yeah, no, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, you know, cause I think, I, I guess I, you know, I find movies like, like I, I'm like, okay, there's certain people, I know there's a lot of people going to like this. Like, okay, there's one movie. It's not, it's kind of a horror film, but it's more like a thriller. It's the one called 
Don't Breathe. Have oh, you ever yeah, seen? yeah. And uh, what did you think of Don't, Don't Breathe? It was in- intense, shocking. I'm sorry, you- it was you- intense. It was shocking. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, that movie, intense, shocking. I really, I love that contained craziness that the movie has. And then it has that one moment that you're like, wait, what are we, what's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. You will never look at a turkey baster the same way. I was like, like, hold on a second. Hold your horses. What are we, what's going on now? Oh, my God. So, you know, see, that's a type of that genre is basically it's a horror film, but it's also got like it's like a thriller, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think that there's some people who I want to say, you know, there's a lot of people who probably wouldn't wouldn't would say I don't like that movie. You know what I mean? Because it's like, what, dude? Like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, And that would be like, yeah. I completely understand where you're coming from about it. Yeah. You know, I completely understand. And I can see why people would be like, no, like, you know, so, so that, but, but the, the tricky thing is, it's like that movie was a, was a freaking hit, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so that's not a movie that I would say would fit your, but it would be an appropriate answer. I think, you know, <laughs> If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? Oh my god. You're you're hitting me. <laughs> Questions. Wow. If I could, I think it would be, oh my god. There's a couple I feel, oh god, this is such a good question because sh- shoot, if somebody watches this, they might be like, "You know what? Maybe I'll let Zuby make make this." <laughs> no, that that probably would not happen. But I want to say I want to say Nosferatu. I mean, there's been different things, but like Nosferatu. Mm, yeah, that uh, would be that'd be a great one to read. Yeah, I, I feel like Nosferatu would be because it's like it's just got these wonderful kind of just this visual textures of how the you know just the the angles of stuff and the the way that you know he as a character is and you can feel you know just you know, from the boat and yeah. just something about that, that I feel like you can really, if, if you could find a way, what I would want to do is find a way to capture some of that, the visual aesthetic, but also find that subtextual human emotional meaning stuff that we've talked about to, so that it's not just pure, monster stuff or it's not just you know what i mean vampire Mm -hmm. it's like i just saw the voyage of the demeter oh cool i haven't seen that yet okay did you see the trailer yeah okay so you know in the trailer there's some you know nosferatu-ish kind of stuff in there and i saw the movie and i think it's a it's like a beautiful looking movie i think the imagery photography is really nice and and the lead the the lead actor in it i you know i've seen him in other things you know but he's never really been in the lead and he's just kind of the dude around and you know he just was he's not like a like of presence and and the other thing too is when i saw the trailer because i actually a friend of mine he goes to me he's like hey zuby we're gonna go watch this movie the demeter i'd heard about the title but i'd never seen the trailer so finally and i and i 
one thing I got to say that drives me bananas, particularly today with a lot of movies, two movies are too, too many movies are too long, too long, too, I mean, I know I'm verbose, but come on, man. It's like. <laughs> it was too long? Well, I think it could have been a little shorter, but that's okay. not really my main beef with it. It's just, mm -hmm. I wanted it to be more, okay. you know? But the lead in the movie, the acting is great in the movie. These are the kinds of things that drive me bananas, right? It's like, I go to the theater, you know, and I love going to the theater, all this and that. And, and I see the trailer, I'm like, and it's got some Osferatu stuff in it. And it's this contained thing in a yeah. in a boat. And, and the beautiful imagery, the performance are dope. And then, and the lead guy, the other thing with the lead guy, when I saw that, because of the era, you know, it's, it takes place in like 18, whatever. And it's like, it's like this black dude. And, you know, he's like, yeah. I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, he's, it's just something I was like, hell yeah, dude, I'm freaking going to that shit, man. Because so many times in movies, you know, at this point, it's a trope, you know, it had been a trope. It's like, you know, you know, black people are in the movie for about, you know, whatever it is, you know, 15 minutes. And, you know, it's like, oh, God, please live, please live, please. But that's a whole other, blah, blah, blah. you know, <laughs> yeah. The point I'm making is this, is that it was, it, to me, it, it just had all these really cool, things um made up and and for me it didn't do it enough you know but it, i was still happy to have gone to see it and all these different things and whatnot but but uh, but the nosferatu but the vibey kind of stuff nosferatu i think would be such a cool freaking thing to to to, to remake but you could capture all the dimensional things i you know i, I mentioned and you no know, and let that creep creep factor kind of really be seeping into people and and creating a hypnosis essentially you know for the for that type of movie but that that would be that would be dope that'd be really really cool and really you know movies you know i would approach it really thinking about the context that the movie's coming coming is being kind of created but there's some movies, I think, that stand the test of time. I feel like you can't really make like, you know, like when you do like a horror film and, you know, so many times now it's like they they go out, they're stuck in this cabin in the woods or whatever. It's like, I don't have any signal. I don't have any, you know, or whatever. It's like, well, I'm just going to go walk out to the road. Oh, there's no Uber here. Like you always have to think about like so many contemporary things today. And, you know, back then, too, there were certain things, but there was probably longer gap times that things weren't evolving so fast from tech, from a technological perspective about how things, you know, like I said, Uber or whatever, like, like, for example, if a movie was to take place today, you kind of, if it was a contemporary story, you have to take in account so many technological things that have happened within a span of like, you know, 10 years you know what i'm saying and then in another 10 years from now things are gonna be totally different it's like somebody's writing a paper maybe you know five years from now you do a story it's like by then it's like chat gpt is like a thing you know what i mean it's yeah. like 
why didn't they write it in ChatGPT? And and you know, it was only just this year that ChatGPT was a thing, you know. So and these are all con- in condensed timeframes. So in a way, it's like going back in time, in a way, I think, or f- deep forward in time where it's all speculation. Sometimes me- it, it could be a better way to tell a story if you want it to have a timelessness feel. But a movie like a Nosferatu, if you if you're using that era for, you know, that the movie, I think that could really have the problem you would have, you know, if I was making that, the, the real problem would be the that it, that people know it, you know? Yeah. And, um, to find a way in to do it different, but that fits the context of time and also does what it needs to be doing, you know, is the thing. So that's my too long answer to you. I love it. I love it. So my final question is, if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? Oh my God. Wow. Okay. Holy moly. With one horror villain, who would it be? Well, okay. Could, could, I I have a question. Okay. (laughs) I I just got to see what the rules are here with this. Could I keep my, could I keep, you know, this villain at least contained so they can't come at me. Yeah. Okay. So I can just keep them. In the, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Think in quarantine. I want to, <laughs> I want to say, and I'm pretty confident. And let me just confirm something here with you. I'm pretty confident. Like this, it's a good system where definitely they won't get out. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. I want to say, but I know it it would be a really bad idea. Okay. This would be a really bad idea. Like a really bad idea. Even based on what I just asked you about the security of keeping this. this, (laughs) I think it would be Hannibal Lecter. Okay. And, but the problem with that very notion, I mean, it, it, that whole thing, Hannibal Lecter is known to escape and to, get out you know that's his that's just his thing and he will mess with you and all that kind of stuff but the reason why Hannibal Lecter is that I just think that he will have you know he's got really awful habits right but that's that's obviously the thing you know it's (laughs) like holy shit this guy's bad but but also he's got this whole other worldview of things you know? And so that's kind of the part for me that it would be like, okay, I'm stuck in quarantine. He's a horror guy, you know, can I keep him really locked up and let me talk with this guy and about various subjects yeah, and what he says and how he sees things and stuff. Because like me, I'm, I'm pretty, I mean, I'm pretty strong with my, with my positions and, and stuff like that. And I'm just like, it's getting into a cult, lured into a cult is quite unlikely for a person like me, I want to say. But so is it so like him kind of like convincing me of all kinds of stuff. I think I want to say that I think I could kind of as long as he's kind of like and, and I can be like, OK, Hannibal, I'm I'm going to step away for a second and whatever, whatever. So I so but my, my main thing is just the notion of being able to engage with him in different subjects. Yeah because he would have a very different thing but the main problem is you know he he has 
powers of very dark persuasion. And he's got really awful, you know, quite nasty habits, you know, deathly, yeah. <laughs> murderous, cannibalistic habits. <laughs> and and then the other thing is he has a habit of escaping. So yeah. well, that just gets don't eat what he cooks. And then he's also, you know, not <laughs> a, his his culinary habits are yeah. questionable. So <laughs> So it's only a certain part of him that I feel like, you know what, he would be cool to engage with in a sense of like other things than his his typical habits, because he'll probably have a lot of alternative views on the world and of people. And he could see people in certain ways that maybe he would even like see me in a particular way that I didn't really see in myself or other people that I might bring up to him or whatever, that kind of stuff. Of course, he would always have a dark bent in how he was trying to do, trying to talk about it. But yeah, so I think Kim, because any of the other horror characters, you know, the alien queen, I mean, that's just like, whatever, you know, she, she does her thing. And, you know, Michael Myers, you know, Freddy Krueger, you know, you know, Freddy Krueger would probably be cracking a lot of, you know, ironic jokes and <laughs> laughing a lot. And that would get tiring. That would get tiring. Yeah. And you couldn't sleep. So what about you, actually? Who, who, what would you say? I, oh, I always say Sebastian Stan's character from Fresh. Oh, wait, I got to watch Fresh. Yeah. What? It's on Hulu. You have to watch it. And um, what, what kind of character was he? Very charming, very handsome. He just, he, he does something that hopefully he would not do to me. So that's all. Just go watch it. It's directed by a woman. So. Oh, dope, dope. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you're like, you're like, yeah, I want to, I want this hot dude, <laughs> guy, kind of questionably dangerous. You yeah. know, do you, is he, al- in your version of this, is he allowed to roam free or do you need to cage him up? Hmm. Is this quarantine? You're in a box, so to speak. Yeah, we. Yeah, he he can roam. Yeah, I think his business would be shut down during quarantine. So, oh, so yeah. he's a horror character. Yeah. So he has a business that would be shut down. He runs that business, so he ran it when it was working. But you're cool with him being in the same house in quarantine where you can't go anywhere. You're in close quarters. You're going to sleep in the place at night. You're going to go. So you'll be at points where you'll be asleep. He could be awake. And you, in theory, are fine with him being awake and you being asleep. I could lock my door. But, like, he's very handsome. So. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, I want some, you know, I'm cool with some, you know, 60-year-old dude (laughs) in a cage. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Well, thank you so much for being here. This conversation has been so interesting. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you online if you are on social media? Yes. So I'm on social media, but the main one that I use is Instagram. I am on threads, but I just have not. I need to go back (laughs) and check what's going on on threads. So, but I'm on threads. But Instagram, I'm at Zubi Mohammed official z-u-b-i mohammed m-o-h-a-m-m-e-d 
official. That is my handle. That's where I'm at and all that good stuff. I have a clip, like a little scissor reel of the behind the scenes of Blair Witch Project, the making of Blair Witch Project that's on there. I've been going out and speaking in different film schools. I was in Germany speaking at a German film school about the making of Blair Witch Project. And then I've been invited to speak at a film school in Spain, in, in a film school there. So I'll be talking there. And next year is the 25th anniversary, anniversary of Blair Witch Project. So I'm hopeful to be able to kind of have some things together, you know, to showcase regarding the, you know, the making of Blair Witch Project. There's some things cooking and I'm really excited about that. So, and I got some other projects too that I'm I'm putting together, some episodic stuff. I've been working with a production company, Magnuson Media Group. It's the three of us, Weedis Kren and Aaron Ray. We've been doing episodic shows and it's been a blast and we'll be doing some more stuff. Right now, of course, there's the the strike that's going on. Yeah. And, you know, so we'll see how all of those kinds of things ultimately develop. But yeah, so that's yeah. that's pretty much the deal. I'll leave links to your Instagram and all that in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here and for chatting with me. Thank you so much, Allison, for having me. I had a, a blast and you had so many good questions that stumped me. Um, I'll have to review. I'm like, man, do I really want Hannibal Lecter around quarantine? <laughs> oh, my God. See you soon. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Zubi Muhammad and thanks again to Zubi for coming on. I'll leave a link to his uh, Instagram in the show notes if you want to reach out and say hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Who's There PC. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at whosetherepc at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and never ask who's there.